Hi there, and welcome to Navigating the Shadows. Today we're going to have a look at an article from The Good Weekend by Sharon Bradley, dated February 7th, 2020. The byline is, having to ask for somewhere to live, it's difficult indeed. Single, female, homeless. Australia's shameful crisis. I wonder if it's only shameful because it's females that we're talking about here. I notice that uh, men have been homeless in huge numbers for a long time, but you never very much get episodes. I suppose articles probably the better word um, about men that you seem to get in this magazine. Older women are the fastest growing cohort of homeless people in Australia today. And that's not good. That's a terrible shame. But for many of them, it's an unexpected life shock that tipped them into destitution. Okay, so we start off with a lady called Rhiannon, which I think is obviously a, uh, a nom de plume, not her real name. Uh, we've got a picture of her here, and it says that Rhiannon, with the asterisk, 68, lost her job and hit rock bottom as a result of advanced glaucoma, um, which is, I think, an eye disease where I think you lose your sight. So you obviously don't want to wish that upon anyone. But let's read a little bit about Rhiannon and her plight. Um, so here in Australia, she used to be on first name terms with TV hosts such as Michael Parkinson and Mike Walsh and various people like uh, Dusty, Elton, Billy, Twiggy and Ringo. Um, it was the late 1970s and 80s, the heyday of the chat show, and there was money to burn. Later she worked with Mike Munro and a number of other people in television, so she's obviously had a career in the 70s and 80s in Australian television, so probably quite a rare thing for a, a lady to have back in that time. Sounds like she's had a fantastic job. Uh, she grew up in Clifton, an affluent suburb of Bristol in southwest England, and she dreamed of following her big sister into professional theatre, but um, that didn't happen. Um, but then in 1973, uh, she decided to follow her older brother to Sydney. Um, took her six weeks on a ship that docked in many places and ended up in Sydney. Um, Within a month, she was working for Channel 10 in North Ryde, suburb of Sydney, as a vision mixer, earning $70 a week. And when colour television came to Australia, as it did in 1975, she moved into production and trained as a director's assistant. And her first big job was on a show that was probably the most popular of its time in Australia, called Number 96. The next decades of her career, which was spent as an associate producer, an associate producer, um, whereas hit of were a whirl of hit game shows, Logie Awards, Australia Day concerts, talk shows, talent quests, all across the nation. She earned good money and had a comfortable lifestyle in Sydney's, Sydney's northern beaches. So she's actually one of the elite here. She's uh, moved her way into the media. She's living the high-flying lifestyle of award, award shows, being in television in the 70s and the 80s. Heady days indeed. Um, she had her first child in 1974, uh, lived with the baby's father for four years before they separated, and much later in 1991 gave James a little brother, Oliver. So, so what's that? That's 74 to 91, 17 years apart. Um, never married. So she, we're never married. We've got two children. She's terribly independent and always has been and remains great friends with both boys' dads. Well, good for her. I wonder how that impacted the kids. Um, over the years, she maintained strong ties to her parents back in England, in Oxfordshire. Um, here we go. 
As a result, I spent all my money going backwards and forwards to the UK. My son spent every long summer holiday there. So this is the 70s, so what, the 70s and the 80s? So the, during the 70s and all the way through to the 90s, she's been going backwards and forwards to the UK. Her sons have spent every long summer holiday there. So this is a lady with an incredibly good job. One presumes fairly high, high paying because it sounds like she's good at her job. And she's spending all of her money going backwards and forwards to the UK. Uh, okay, so that's how she's decided to spend her money. So in the year 2000, at the age of 49, she was diagnosed with glaucoma, which seems quite young. Um, both her parents have been sufferers of it, but it had come on early for her. Um, and it says here, with apparent spite, because, um, yeah, because uh, medical conditions take, um, have an emotional aspect to them. Um, she managed to keep it stable for a decade and a half through a combination of medication and surgery, um, which is good. But one day in 2015, so what are we talking about, five years ago, she was midway through casting for I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, obviously the Australian version. So she's been working for 30 plus years in the industry, um, in a good job, well regarded. She became aware of rapidly intensifying pain in her eye sockets. By the time she got to her specialist, um, her pressure reading in her eyes was 60, and apparently a normal reading is in the low teens. And that was, she didn't know it then, but that was the last day that she'd ever gone back to work. Today, so five years after that incident, um, what have we got here? She's described as glamorous by the author. Her voice is as rich as Red Gave's um, and sounds like she's from the home counties of England. Um, she's now blind in her left eye, unfortunately, with 40% vision remaining in her right, and that's failing. I always have a glimmer of hope that maybe the sight I have left will last me the rest of my life, but I don't know, she says, I have the severest case. The past few years have been a pride-swallowing siege of repeated personal setbacks and humiliating, humiliating bureaucratic defeats. Unable to work, Rhiannon applied for the means-tested sickness allowance, the highest fortnightly allocation for a single person with dependent children is currently $604, but she could no longer afford her rented apartment. So she's been working for 30 plus years in a good, stable job, sounds like she's extremely well regarded in her industry, and she's still renting. I nearly bought a house back in the 80s, but didn't, she says ruefully. If I were sighted today, I'd still be working in this for as long as possible. So you think you'd just be able to work forever and ever and ever and not be able to retire? You know, if, if you didn't have the glaucoma? Um, this makes absolutely no sense. I loved my job, and then all of a sudden, it was stripped away from me. Well... You got to have a good crack of 30 years at it. Lots of people, well, two things here. Lots of people don't love their job, so you should see how lucky you are here. And also, lots of people don't get to stay in one industry for 30 years. They have it stripped away from them after a year or two. I'd spent whatever money I'd saved going backwards and forwards to the UK. Right, so what we've got here already sounding is that things happened to me. It wasn't my fault, and I'm a victim. But this is, this is the point. This is the point. She'd had, I'm gonna, I know I've said that a number of times already, she'd had 30 years in an industry and she's saying like she had no choice but to go back to England. Well, I'm sorry, but you do. You do. Maybe you could have gone back every second year instead and, still, and bought that house in the 80s, provide yourself with some security for when you get older. Maybe for your kids when they get older. But no, you had to live that high-fly lifestyle. 
I don't know anyone who was flying overseas annually to the other side of the planet in the 70s and 80s. That must have been so expensive. Three, let's, let's continue reading. Three years ago when she was 65, Rihanna transitioned with heartbreaking inevitability. The overtones of emotion in this article are just amazing. From a sickness allowance to the age pension. Okay, so it's good. She lives in a place where there's an age pension. She can still get some money. But she couldn't find anywhere affordable to live. I wonder if she meant anywhere affordable on the North Shore of Sydney. Or just anywhere. Uh, the Federal Department of Family and Community Services told her she didn't qualify for priority social housing, but offered no explanation. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm sure there's a policy somewhere where someone made a decision that she didn't qualify. But let's just say that it's the evil federal government department that just left me out in the cold. Devastated. She didn't have the strength to question Okay, so, right. Devastated, she didn't have the strength to question it. So, she's upset with it, and once again, something happened to her. She became a victim of that instead of questioning it. She was told the waiting list could be 10 years. Yeah, that's very bad average. For a while, she, James, Oliver, and her parents rented a large house together in Manly. So, I presume James and Oliver are her sons, maybe? Um, and her parents as well rented, oh, sorry, and their partners rented a large house together in Manly. Okay, so she's moved in with her sons and her and their partners, and mum's obviously living in a spare room. It was a happy time for all of them, and Oliver's son was born there. Okay, that's great. So we've got a multi-generational household. We've got people looking after each other, and I'm sure her son's benefited from having her at home, even if she's with the lack of sight, and I'm sure she really enjoyed being around her grandchildren. Um, but when the owner decided to sell that house, okay, so she sold the house. Uh, the, sorry, the owner sold the house, so they obviously had to move out because they were renting. The family was forced to disband. Notice the language used in the article, they're forced to disband. Well, that's probably true, but we're sort of writing it with a certain emotional bent. So, so hang on, so what's next? She's travelled north to Mullumbimby with Oliver. I think that's in the northern New South Wales, so we're talking, you know, a good maybe five, six hundred kilometres north of Sydney here, and his partner, but it was hot there, and she was too far away from her specialist in Crow's Nest. It was hot there, and too far away from the specialist in Crow's Nest. So why the hell did she move 500 kilometres north? Seems like bad decision after bad decision and just blaming circumstance to me. Feeling ever more despondent, she returned to Sydney where friends offered her their spare room. Fantastic. Okay, she's obviously got some very nice friends there willing to help her out. You know, um, she's obviously got a lack of vision, which is horrible. Um, but there's always help there. Um, I hate asking for help, she says. It's terribly hard for me. It's that independent spirit I've always had. I've never, ever asked for anything. And having to ask for somewhere to live, begging really, well, I'm a very proud person and it's difficult indeed. Absolutely agree and can sympathise with that. Horrible, horrible. You've got a medical condition through no fault of your own, um, but you found yourself in a bad situation. Actually, as an aside from that, didn't it earlier say that her parents had the same condition? So it would be interesting to see if that was actually, if she knew it was coming at some point in her life, um, if it's a genetic um, condition. Um, wouldn't you prepare for that? No, I would. Um, maybe 
I wouldn't fly back to England every year. I'd start putting some money away, knowing at some point my medical issues are going to become debilitating and I'm going to need something to fall back on. But that's me. She remembers sitting on a bench in Manly, Manly, which is a suburb of uh, Sydney. So she, oh, so I gather she's back in, so she's back in Sydney now, looking out to sea and feeling more lost and hopeless than any other time in her life. I just sat there thinking, what's going to be coming? What's going to become of me? What's going to happen to me? The anxiety was awful. Well, I'm sure it was, because you don't feel like you've got any control over your own life. You've had control for thirty years. And things were good. And you know, when things are good, sometimes things are going to be bad. Rhiannon's Nadir came the day she walked into Mission Australia in Brookvale, which is another Sydney suburb, and asked for help finding somewhere to stay. It was hard for me to go there, she says, starting to cry. It was a very, very tough thing. You know why this was tough for her? It's because she thinks she's above it. She'd lived the high life in Australia's cultural elite in television and the media industry for 30 years. She was international jet-setter with her children, back and forth between Australia and England for 30 years. And she's walking into Mission Australia asking for help. There's plenty of other people that walk into Mission Australia every day asking for help, and they don't feel it's beneath them. It was a very, very tough thing, she said, and not because I think they aren't wonderful there. I know they are. It was because at that point I felt I'd lost everything. It felt like the end of the world. So that's a bit of Rihanna's story. So now we, we move into older women are the fastest growing cohort of homeless people in Australia today. Okay. Um, well, that's probably because they're coming off a very low base. Um, because men have predominantly been the most homeless people in the, in the country, particularly if circumstances of um, drug dependence, mental health issues. Some men are maybe after divorce, they lost everything. But if you come off a low base, of course it's going to be fastest growing. I should have a look at those numbers, see how what the actual numbers are. Because if you go from 1% to 4%, if I'm right, that's a 400% increase. According to census data, the number of women aged 65 to 74 describing themselves as homeless increased by 51% in the five years to 2016. But the crisis may be even deeper than the figures show, since older female homelessness often plays out invisibly in relatives' guest rooms or on friends' sofas. It's not an easy thing to admit to. Once again, it's being seen as an emotional problem for these women, not an actual housing problem. The big issue, the big sort of focus of this article is how it emotionally hits them, about how it's a horrible thing. Oh, here we go. With the it's not their fault paragraph. The general public is quick to apportion blame, misguidingly citing addiction, unemployment, mental health issues and domestic violence as causes. Well, isn't that why we apply to men? But the reality is more nuanced, of course it is, and disturbingly close to home. The emotive language continues. In fact, the reasons why a single woman is likely to approach the end of her working life more financially... Dis oh, hang on, here comes the pay gap. More financially disadvantaged than a man often have to do more with entrenched systemic failures than her personal shortcomings. That's right, folks. It's not the individual's fault. It wasn't Rihanna's fault that she spent all her money flying all over the world and wasting her money and not putting anything behind her. For a, So we have a lady who had a genetic medical condition, I'm, I'm presuming, 
spent her money jet-setting around the world in the 70s, the 80s and 90s, didn't put anything aside for herself or her children, and now we're going to blame systemic failures because it's women. Here comes the pay gap. Consider, first, the pay gap, which had hovered between 14 and 90% for the past two decades. Then there's the fact that by sheer virtue of her sex, a woman is most likely to have been her family's primary caregiver. Absolutely. And generally in this period of time that we're talking about, primarily because of his sex, the man is most primarily the provider. Now, let's have a This is... She's the one who's taken the time out of the workforce, often permanently stunting her career growth to look after children and later care for elderly parents. According to national advocacy group Women in Super, an older woman generally retires with 47% less superannuation than a man and will very likely outlive him by five years. Okay, so the issue here isn't that women are outliving men by five years. I wonder why that is, but the fact they get less money from their super because they haven't been at work. So, work less, have less work retirement funds. I wonder if that would have, if really would have been an issue for Rhiannon. Actually, that makes no sense at all. Super's only been compulsory in Australia since about 1991, if, I think, from about that period of time. So Rhiannon was working for a good maybe 15 years in, a, in that wonderful, high-paying, well-respected, top-of-the-tree industry flying all around the world and still didn't save anything. Currently, more than 330 single women over the age of 45 are living in a state of economic distress. That is, spending more than 30% of their gross income just keeping a roof over their heads. You know what? I reckon there's probably a hell of a lot more uh, young people spending more than 30% of their income renting. And we also have here with as many as 45% of them earning the minimum wage or less. Okay. Additionally, reports the Career Development Association of Australia, in 2019, 273,000 work positions were made redundant. A 45% surge on the figures for 2017. I don't get that. It doesn't say that 273,000 positions for women were made redundant. That makes no sense. The security of job for life in inverted commas is long gone. Jeez, tell everyone about that, not just for women. Replaced by the burgeoning digital freelance marketplaces of the gig economy, which gives growing numbers of baby boomers eager to maximise late career earnings the opportunity to bypass the ageism of conventional bosses. Ah, so, we've opened it up to people who want to put in an effort, they can make an effort. Um, I don't want to pick on Rhiannon, I know she was in trouble, but she has wonderful media experience, even though um, she's losing her sight. The advice, the, the consultate, the, um, what do you call it, um, consulting, the ability to introduce people, the ability to put yourself out there as someone who's worked in the industry and still be able to earn a job earn some money through maybe a gig economy of assisting people to get into the media industry in Australia must have been enormous. She has an enormous um, repertoire of work behind her. 
makes me wonder why she didn't think to do that. Um, we've got workplace ageism as abounding. Okay, so you get older, but Rhiannon didn't leave because she was old. Rhiannon left because she became um, disabled through to her, through to her um, glaucoma. So I don't know why this worked. Oh, ah, sorry. We're making generalities here, aren't we? So we've got the fact that there's a pay gap, there's ageism. All these generalities are the reason why these people find themselves in trouble. Um... Sitting beneath all these trends, like a straining tectonic plate, is our worsening housing crisis. Yeah, it's expensive for everyone. Um, okay, but according to this article, it's going to be more expensive for women because poor women. The rental market's under stress at both ends. Homeownerships gradually become harder to access. I'll tell you what, if you'd bought our place in the 80s, you wouldn't be worried about this. Um, yada, yada, yada. Problems, problems, problems. Oh, okay, we're also blaming a lack of social housing. Oh, here's a cracker. Calculating the number of people who are currently homeless in Australia, 116,000 according to the most recent census in 2016, and a second group who are at risk of becoming so, there's an estimation there's currently a shortfall of 433,000 social dwellings, social housing dwellings. 433 housing dwellings, jeez. There are 140,000 people on social housing waiting lists. So if there's only 140,000 on the waiting list, why do you need 433 social housing dwellings? What, is one person going to live in three houses? And if there's 116,000 people homeless and 140,000 waiting on the housing waiting list, that's 256,000. So why, do you, why is there a shortfall of 433,000 dwellings? The steady, uh, we go on, the steady rise of grey divorce. Okay, because of course, remember, women are the only ones that ever have, have um, the, the bad outcomes of divorce. The steady rise of grey divorce is catapulting older women, even the ones who've always considered themselves safely middle class, out into the bad. God forbid the middle class woman has to start slumming it with the lower classes because they had get divorced. Jeez, the real world must be horrible for some people. A deep and systemic gender inequality contributes to a woman's financial vulnerability in her later years. When a critical life event happens on top of that, a shock medical diagnosis, for example, a sudden job loss or a rent hike, her situation can become perilous overnight. Yeah, well, if she hasn't been saving up some money to back herself up. Okay, another case study. Maria. For some reason, it describes her what she looks like. Um, she's in the office of St Vincent de Paul Society, which is a charity here in Australia. Emigrated from Europe to Australia as a seven-year-old. She married young in 1985 to, in, to, in inverted commas, a gentleman from Uruguay. But it didn't work out. It was abusive, she says. And the fact that he couldn't speak English made things more difficult. Sounds like you picked up a real catch there. She went to college to learn South American Spanish so she could converse with her husband. <laughs> uh, they divorced in 1993, so she was married in 1985, so eight years. Maria's daughter, Adriana, is 33. Um, in 2017, Maria was feeling on top of the world. Feelings, people, feelings. She'd just come home from a two-month holiday in Greece. Well, that, that wouldn't have been expensive. 
She worked hard for 18 years in a job she loved, grocery manager at a supermarket, and could finally afford to visit all the beautiful islands she'd heard about growing up. I'd love to spend two months in Greece. I can't afford that. But she worked hard for it, wanted to do it. Good luck to her. Um, some blurb about showing photos of her on her phone from the holidays in that she's tanned, slim and smiling, white-toothed and wholesome, another woman in another time. She shakes her head sadly at her physical deterioration. She's gained weight, she says, and her teeth, all of them at the bottom, have gone off. But I'm on new start and I can't afford to see the dent. There's a government dental program. You can get your teeth checked out, love. A friend of her family asked her to leave her job at the supermarket. Okay, so she's... And worked for him as his national business manager. He was launching a drink and wanted to get it into shops. He asked her to make some introductions for him and help him distribute it. Okay, business opportunity. He offered to double her salary. Very good. It'd be a car, a computer, a phone. He had what she reckoned to be a $14 million yacht bobbing around in Darling Harbour with the product's name emblazoned on its side. On its side. Excited, Maria could see no reason not to accept his offer. Okay. She's got a job she loves, steady job at the supermarket, 18 years, good rep, says she loves it, sees an opportunity, goes for it, good luck, hope it works out for you. <laughs> Guess what? Within months she'd realised she'd made a terrible mistake, the car she'd been promised never turned up and the introduction, once she'd made the introductions um, and the distributor deal had been inked, her new employer told her he didn't need her anymore. So she got used, family friend used her to launch his product. And before long, he refused to pay. At 53, Maria found herself suddenly unemployed and struggling to find another job. She took a swing and she missed. Paying $410 a week for a one-bedroom unit was decimating her savings. Her new start wasn't enough to get her out of an ever-deepening hole and she was going under. The social security system doesn't, isn't meant to get you out of a hole. It's to stop you going deeper. It's not meant to take you out of it. Her parents had both died young. She didn't feel she could call on any of her four brothers from help. And also she's close with her daughter. She doesn't get on with her son-in-law. She was on her own. Self-imposed problems. You're running out of money. You've got no job. You've just come back from two months in Greece. You've got enough money to spend on a holiday in Greece for two months. You've got four brothers you could talk for, you could talk to to try and get some help. You're close with your daughter, but you don't like your son-in-law. There's options here. You might have to swallow your pride a little bit, but there's options here. In April 2018, she crossed the unthinkable divide. She gave notice to her landlord, put her furniture in storage and started to live out of her Honda. I was homeless, helpless and hopeless, broken in ways I never dreamed possible. She's gone from... Oh, dear me. She's living in her car because she can't swallow her pride and ask for help. Okay, another way to look at this is she made the decision to do that and not ask for help. She's made some bad decisions. We all make bad decisions. She spent all her money on a trip to Greece, left a secure job that she'd been in for 18 years that she loved, chased a dream. Fair enough. But obviously didn't have anything behind her, thinking, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm stuffed. That dream fizzled away, like some of them do. She saw, saw the big bucks. 
and then she has all these options to help her, her family, her daughter, but she's decided to go live in her car instead. Pride. For three months she parked in, in beach car parks using the toilets and showers. Okay. I was often scared, she said. I couldn't leave the windows down, so I'd keep the sunroof open to breathe a bit. When I got really frightened, I'd leave my car and take public transport to Central and join homeless people rough sleeping in... What? And join other homeless people rough sleeping in parks. I felt safer around them. So she's... So now she's sleeping... So she's gone from a car down into parks. What? If you feel safer around other people, why wouldn't you just drive your car there and park next to them? She lived on sandwiches, crisps and fruit. I felt totally worthless, she says. I wasn't suicidal, but developed an understanding of how someone could take that path. I prayed for help to get back to the life I had. Look, I, look, I, I feel sorry for her, I really do. Like She's found herself in a terrible situation that appears to have happened very, very quickly. But she's made her own choices here. And as we all know in life, choices have consequences. Her counsellor helped Maria transition into a temporary accommodation, a pop-up women's refuge in Leichhardt. Okay, that's good. She liked it at first. It was good to be in the company of other women. But her discovery one afternoon of attempted suicide um, shocked her to the core. Yeah, that would do it to most people, but you're living in a women's refuge. Stuff like that's going to happen. Or the propensity for it's going to happen. Maria's emergency phone call probably saved the woman's life. Good job, Maria. Well done. But she found the aftermath of the incident, the chemical cleaning of the woman's room, and the harsh interrogation she had to endure at the hands of eight policemen harrowing. The harsh interrogation she had to endure at the hands of eight policemen. Well, then she had to talk to eight police for an attempted suicide. And why is it harrowing? She should feel like a hero. She's, it's said here that she's, her phone calls probably saved the woman's life. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that, I, I'm not, I don't understand what's going on there. Maybe she felt it was harrowing. It doesn't mean it was. In March last year, the head of the refuge put her in touch with uh, another office. Um, there were concerns about her mental health. That's understandable. There's been some bad things that have happened to her. Um, trying to expedite. Other, so um, the uh, social services helped, to, uh, helped her to expedite an application for priority social housing. Um, in May, she secured a new two-bedroom unit in a southern Sydney suburb for $93, $93 a week. Two. All right. That is ridiculously cheap. It must be about $400 a week in Peakhurst. And why does she need a two-bedroom unit? Is she living by herself? Why wouldn't a one-bedroom unit work? I don't understand. Lots of help. Maria shows me a photo of her... Oh, this is the author saying Maria shows a photo of the apartment, the unit, pointing out all her beautiful things, a glass table, a white sofa, a Versace, a Versace mirror. How? What? I haven't got a Versace mirror. I pay for all my own things. I can't afford a Versace mirror. How odd. I'm just so grateful, she says, her spirit's visibly lifting. I think how lucky I am every minute of the day. I feel so safe there. Well, good for you, Maria. Why don't you thank the taxpayer for allowing you to live in a two-bedroom unit for $93 a week and you've got somewhere to put your Versace mirror. 
Uh, look, this is, it goes on um, saying how Marie is under the care of a psychiatrist. Good. Um, taxpayers paying for that as well. Treating her for severe depression. The awful thing about medication, she says, is that you have all the feelings and you want to cry, but you can't. It makes you feel numb. Horrible. I just want to get back on my feet so that I can start helping women I'm up as oh don't tell me she's gone back to school. Please, Maria, please tell me you're doing some type of work. Let's see. I think she's gone back to university. Uh, it doesn't say. I just want to get back on my feet so that I can start helping women. Okay, well, yeah, mate, you can do that now. Homelessness, okay, so we're moving on to some more general statements. Uh, right now there are more than 300,000 women between the ages of 45 and 65 who are at significant risk of homelessness. They're at risk. Well, they should start saving their money to reduce that risk. They're currently working and renting, but they're on low incomes and living on their own. They won't be able to afford renting on the age pension and there is no socialising, so start saving up. Uh, there we go. We talk about general, some other issues here. Um, let me see. Jeez, it keeps going. Okay, it talks about planning and zoning. It talks about policies. Something here about carbon neutral housing. There's uh, federal housing minister isn't doing anything apparently. So this is all interesting. I've read through probably a bit, but I haven't read out about another four or five paragraphs here where it talks about policies, what other peoples are doing, with public housing, all sorts of things. There's nothing saying that these people should take responsibility for their own circumstances. Is that too much to ask? Sure, it mightn't be enough to fully fund a retirement, but if you can start saving a little bit of money every week and not spending it on trips back to England every year or chasing a dream that you know that might, it might, it might be a big payoff, but there's a risk in doing it, like Marie has done, then maybe that's the best action someone can take. Um... Here we go, Jane Carrow, one of our favourites. The social commentator and author of last year's book, Accidental Feminist, is incensed by the situation. I'm sure she's absolutely incensed by the whole homelessness women situation. It would be relatively easy for us to overcome older women's homelessness if we had the political will, she says. How can you look a generation of women in the face, particularly as a Christian man, oh, here we go, it's the men's fault, and say, look, I've seen how you've put others' needs in front of your own, including the necessity to earn additional income and accumulate super. But really, it's just too bad that you're living in your car. Well, Maria made the choice to live in her car. She had plenty of opportunities for help from her brothers, who are men. Silly you. I mean, everywhere you looked, there was some conservative Christian bloke telling you to stay at home and look after the children. It's appalling. How does that apply to Rihanna? She worked for 30 years. She pauses for breath. I can't tell you the number of female journalists who interviewed me about my book and told me this issue would scare them to death. This could happen to me, they said. Good. Realise it. Work towards minimising the risk. Save some money and you won't end up in that situation or your chances of re re ending up in that situation are greatly reduced. This is the thing. 
Oh, and then we've got another um, article here, and another case study of a young lady called Fiona who it looks like um, she was in a nightclub for some reason in 2012. Says so she's 62, so she was at a nightclub in 50, at 54. That's cool. Nothing wrong with that. And it says that she fell off a. Um, she was at a nightclub and the, she got pushed over a balcony. Oh my god! She got pushed over a balcony. The railing which stopped at her hips wasn't high enough to keep her upright, and suddenly she went over the top of it, plummeting headfirst on the concrete floor. That's horrible. That is really horrible. But reading through here, why hasn't she sued? Why hasn't she sued and said, "Look, the 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 backing, the safety procedures at the nightclub went went um, good enough." Look, I'm not going to read through this one. It's getting annoying. Look, the whole takeout of this whole article, long article, um, very well researched, I'll say. Um, by the author, is essentially missing a key component of what I think we need to have a conversation in this country and basically in the world. Start to look after your own stuff. Don't expect someone to come in and save you, particularly in Rihanna's situation. She lived the high life for 30 years. Great job. Jet setting in the 80s and 90s. Didn't put anything away. Oh, also knew she had a degenerative or had the likelihood of having a degenerative eye disease because her parents did didn't put anything away for the future. Then we had a lady who had plenty of options for help, Maria. You know, she had a good job. She took a big swing for the fences to, to get um, a big payout on a new business. Didn't turn out. She had options for help with her brothers. She had options for help with her daughter. Didn't take it. But guess what? In the end, the system's come back and helped these two women back and given them the assistance they need. But there's a hell of a lot of whinging for people here particularly for two ladies who've taken the benefit of the systems that are there when, in all honesty, why the hell are they complaining? It seems very, very ungrateful. They're two ladies who had secure lives, who've enjoyed some of the fruits of lives, travel overseas trips, everything like that, didn't look after, didn't take any steps to look after themselves, and then were saved by the system effectively. Like, well, I doubt they would have got this if they were living in, other, in, in countries that didn't have social safety nets. And then were saved by the system, were complaining about it, and the article has no talk whatsoever about taking personal responsibility. Let's finish up here. The author says, I asked Rhiannon what advice she would give to her faraway self, the curious 22-year-old standing on the deck of a ship on a bright May morning 46 years ago. Jesus. The choices you make now are your destiny, she says. Keep a strong eye on your future. You can't see it now because you're busy having fun, but it'll be here before you know it. Make sure you're ready. Excellent advice, Rihanna. Well done. All right, we'll think we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time.